2021. It's a new year, and the first episode of the new year is a really good one. Yeah, I want to talk Knicks. They've been fun. I want to talk NFL playoffs. But today, I had the opportunity to interview a guy that I've been following for a long time and a big fan of, Brian Hoke. He's a beat writer for the New York Yankees. He had a lot to say, and it was an absolutely fascinating conversation. Whether you're a Yankee fan or not, or even a baseball fan or not, it's an absolutely fascinating conversation. So definitely enjoy this episode. All that other good stuff will be coming later this week. I got a lot planned for the new year. Um, my wife hates when I do the preemptive apologies, and I hate it also. So I'm not going to apologize. My audio kind of sounds like crap in this episode. I hope you forgive me. It's worth listening to anyway. Brian sounds great, and he is great. So I hope you enjoy, and I'll see you at the end of this. All right, joining me now from the New York Yankees and MLB.com is Brian Hoke. Brian, how are you doing? Thanks for coming on. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Um, first question is, how are you doing? Connie, Penny, Maddie, everyone, um, quarantine, all that stuff is crazy now. How you guys doing? How are you guys holding up? The gang's holding together. Yeah, it's just been a strange year. I, I mean, I guess it's a new year now. So uh, maybe hopefully 2021 will be a little less strange. But um, we hope so. Yeah, 2020, uh, I don't think any of us saw that coming. Uh, just all the kind of twists and turns and um, really just strange. And so uh, hopefully that is behind us now. Hopefully better days are ahead. But we've, uh, you know, I, I guess the plus side of it was we got a lot more family time uh, in a lot of ways. You know, we were home a lot and uh, cooking dinners and having, you know, Disney family movie nights and stuff. So I've seen pretty much everything there is to watch on Disney plus by now. So, um, you know, I just, uh, you know, I hope we get back to a a normal baseball kind of calendar where we have spring training on time, where opening day is on time, where fans are in the stands, because um, that, that was, that was the weirdest part of 2020 was being in Yankee stadium and um, there being about 35 other people there and that was it. Um, it, it just, uh, was a strange Different feeling. Yeah. Um, so let's get right into that. You do hokey happy hour for the fans every Wednesday nights, probably the favorite, my favorite part of the week. Um, thank you. Oh yeah, of course. And I think it's a little early to drink now. I got water, but that's about all. <laughs> um, yeah. but the first question that you answer every single night is the Yankees and DJ LeMahieu. What's happening it's now January 5th. He's still not signed. He's been the best player on, on the team for the last two years. The Yankees said it's the top priority, but still nothing has happened yet. Any news Amazing, on that? Isn't it? I, I thought I, January 5th, I thought that would be done by November 5th. Like, exactly. I, it's, a, it's a layup. He's, he's their best player. Um, you can't make the case to me that they can be a better team without him. Uh, take away their best player. Um, you know, this is a team that is built to win the World Series right now. And a lot of people were forecasting them to win the World Series in 2020. Uh, DJ Mayhew was a big part of that. And he backed up what we saw in 2019. He did it again. He won the batting title. Like, what is there to think about here? Obviously, the question is, uh, the Yankees don't want to give him a fifth year. And, you know, when we went into the offseason, I figured he was probably looking for four, um, four years and might actually get three based on the way the market was. It looks like he's kind of holding firm and he wants five right now. And the way things are, uh, he doesn't, there's no rush on DJ's part. Like the market will come to him. So actually if I'm DJ and I'm not getting what that fifth year that I'm looking for, maybe I hang out there a little longer and wait and see, because I feel like the top guys on the market, they're going to get paid. Somebody's going to pay DJ LeMahieu. Now, 
does he want to come back to the Yankees? I believe he does. I believe that would be his first choice. But something he said in September has been ringing in my mind a little bit, too. And he said, yeah, you know, that would be my first choice to come back to the Yankees. But I also once thought I was going to spend my entire year, career in Colorado. And so that didn't happen. And so um, at the end of the day, if somebody's going to give him that fifth year or a richer four-year contract, I guess he could go to Los Angeles or Toronto, but I still think DJ is going to be back with the Yankees. The problem is the longer it goes on, the Yankees are kind of in a holding pattern waiting to make sure that DJ is back and they're not addressing their other needs. Right. So that's what I was going to ask you. There's two questions here because the development of the market, um, A, it's, definitely interesting we've seen this last couple of years with salary dumps i mean the rays have always done this but now they just traded away i guess their ace um but we see other teams doing it now and the market is moving slowly this is not like the nba off season where there's five days and everyone just signs and it's crazy and people are throwing money all over the place is that bad for the sport is that something that you feel can change or if there's a way for that to change it's bad for people like me who are <laughs> right. trying to write stories and they trying to find new ways to say nothing has happened, you know? Exactly. Just, I mean, it's it's been a boring offseason. We've had a few of these in a row now where things have gone sluggishly. And so, yeah, I do think that's bad for the game. Uh, you know, there is a second season to baseball that does not involve the players on the field. And you want it to be exciting. You want it to be fun. And obviously, this has been a weird year where you can't have the winter meetings. You can't have everybody in person. Um, but it would be great to have some activity and to have two guys coming off the board here. And DJ is a big part of that. So, um, you know, I, I keep reading stories that he may not sign until February now. And it's like, I hope that's not the case because, you know, I don't want to go through another five or six weeks here where we're just in a holding pattern waiting to see what the Yankees are going to do. Because at some point, if he does wait until February, the Yankees are going to say, wait a second, we've got pitchers and catchers supposed to report on February 12 or whatever it is. Like, got to do right. something here and exactly so i don't want to i don't want to see the yankees have to move on to something else just because dj took too long but i i guess that's dj's right and dj's prerogative too to do that right well what is the contingency plan for the yankees is there one in place right now i don't think there is i really don't I, i'm sure that they've done all their kind of um you know they do their player evaluation meetings at the end of the year and they have a big chart where they say, all right, here's the free agents. We'll rank them. But I really do believe DJ is a priority. So look, if you take DJ off the board today, let's say for argument's sake that he goes and signs somewhere else, uh, then I, I'm sure that they do have an idea of where they'll go after that. But I don't know what that plan is because everything that I've been told is that the focus is right on DJ and everything else, you know, they'll go to plan B if they have to, but as of right now, everything's uh, in DJ. But if you take him off the board, I don't rule anything out. I would say if you take DJ out of the equation, then you can go throw 25 million, 30 million a year at Trevor Bauer and go go do that then and, and exactly. build that pitching staff up yeah. because once again, um, starting pitching is still a weakness for this yep, team. Yeah, there are other needs. Yeah, they absolutely do. And I would love to see a Cole Bauer one two in the in the rotation, but um, you know, I, I still think that if I'm Brian Cashman, if I got to choose between Bauer and DJ LeMahieu, I think I still go with DJ. I go with the everyday player. Um, you said DJ LeMahieu waiting benefits him. Last time that didn't work out like that. He got a relatively small deal from the Yankees. I know it's a different situation. He's probably the top free agent on the market now. Do you still think him waiting benefits him? I do, because in that case, the previous case, he was up against guys, if I remember right, like Bryce Harper and 
Patrick Corbin was out there that year. I think Manny Machado was out there. DJ was very much an afterthought. And even when he came to the Yankees, people were like, why? Who? He didn't start opening day. (laughs) Exactly right. And so um, now he's the cream of the crop free agent. He's not a Bryce Harper or Manny Machado from from back in the day. Like he's not second fiddle to anybody like that. So um, no, DJ is going to get paid. I'm not worried about that. DJ will get a, a fair deal somewhere, but um, you know, just having heard his preference would be to come back to the Yankees. I, I, I would like to see that happen. And so would many Yankee fans. Um, you talked about the rotation for a minute. Brian Cashman said they're looking for quote unquote arms or innings. He said, actually. So who would those innings be? We saw Blake Snell is off the board and you Darvish, maybe Blake Snell wouldn't have been traded to a division rival, but I didn't even know these guys were available. Did the Yankees do their due diligence with them? Who are the guys they're looking at right now? Yeah, I, I have questions about how much the Yankees have to spend because coming off a year where Hal Steinbrenner has been very upfront about they lost more money than any other team. I think finances are very much in the Yankees uh, picture right now. So I don't, you know, I, I wonder if Darvish would have even been possible for them given um, what constraints they're under. And so I know that they're going to try and put payroll back into the team, whatever came off. You got guys like LeMay who came off. Uh, Paxton, Tanaka, uh, Jay Happ, they, they do have money to play with for sure. And so, um, you know, some of the, some of the names we've been hearing around, for example, a Corey Kluber, I think is a guy who could be of interest. I don't think you're going to go for those elite arms. Um, you're going to look more for back end guys, um, kind of like a Taiwan Walker. Maybe you go for a guy like that. And, you know, Cashman always loves big bodied guys who throw hard. And so maybe that fits in, but I think you're looking more in the four or five starter realm than, um, then to look for a two, unless, like I said, if DJ goes somewhere else, <laughs> just you got money your chips in on yeah. Trevor Bauer and, and, you know, put that UCLA rotation back together. Exactly. Um, so the Yankees have the ACE though. We have Garrett Cole. That's, you know, that's huge. Um, it's so interesting. You talk about money constraints with the Yankees for Yankee fans. Yeah. This is, this is new to us. Um, now we talk, we hear Brad hand, uh, being rumored to the Mets, there are some bullpen pieces. We lost Tommy Canley. Obviously, he's not going to be playing this year, but right. there are some bullpen p- pieces in place. Also, it's just interesting to hear that market. And if, like you said, the Yankees really are not trying to spend that much, is that actually a reality that Yankee fans should let sink in and start to, you know, be whole with? Well, we've seen it before. We've seen the Yankees try to get under luxury taxes before, and they've done it successfully. You got to go back a few years. But I, I still think that if there's a difference between, uh, a player that can help them win the World Series and not, they're not going to not get that guy. I, I do think that the Steinbrenner family, look, they can say they want to cut payroll all they want and be thinking that. And then, um, you know, uh, in 2009, where is it? There it is. Right there, yeah. For example, the Yankees payroll was set. It was locked in. Um, they were done. They gave Andy Pettit a very small amount of money. They said, this is it. This is all we have. And then Mark Teixeira was out there. And it looked like Teixeira was going to go to Boston. And then Steinbrenner dug deep and they said, all right, we'll get Mark Teixeira. And that wasn't a small contract. No, it was eight years, 180 million. And they just found that in the couch cushion. And so obviously it's a different time, a different era. They didn't have a coronavirus year, but they were in the middle of a financial recession then. So there's some kind of parallels there. Anyway, my point is um, they can say they're done and then they can just as easily say, all right, wait we'll add one more piece. And so Teixeira was the piece in 2009. And so maybe there's somebody in 2021 who's that kind of big last minute um, kind of shopping addition they get. Well, that's very comforting for Yankee fans. Let's talk about the players on the roster currently. 
Um, Gary Sanchez took a lot of heat last year. He wasn't starting in the playoffs, but he went, he's out working now in winter ball and it looks like he's working hard. He's always been a guy who's tried to get better and worked hard. It's just never fully come together, I guess, consecutive years or even for a full season straight. The guy I'm more worried about, and I feel like not as many Yankee fans are talking about this, is Glaber Torres. He got called out by the general manager for being out of shape. He did not look good at shortstop, albeit it was only in 60 games. And he's not down there trying to improve or get better, at least to my knowledge. We don't see him out there playing. Why isn't there more of an emphasis on him being, you know, trying to get better and improve? Yeah, I don't think Glaber's playing winter ball, but I do know he's been in Tampa. He's been working out at the complex a little bit and hitting and fielding and stuff like that. But I I think for him, there was an injury problem there that I think kind of slowed him a lot of the way. And maybe that's related to the conditioning that Brian Cashman talked about. You know, I know he's kind of backtracked on that a little bit, but we saw it. We saw it when uh, Glaber came back to summer camp. He, He looked a little bulkier and um maybe it's a difference you know we're so used to seeing Didi Gregorius at short and and Glaber and Didi are different body types they just are and so um you know even in the first spring training I thought that Glaber's defense was going to be a downgrade from Didi that was just a fact but uh you expected that he was going to be a guy who was going to hit you 30 home runs and be a middle of the order bat and we didn't see that offensive Glaber and so it's kind of the same thing that we talk about a lot with Gary too, is that you're going to live with the bad defense or the, whatever the pass balls and, and all that. If he hits the way that Gary Sanchez can hit. I mean, we're, we know that he was the fastest player in American league history to hundred home runs. Like this guy was a two-time all-star. If he hits like he did in 2020, then you're not going to live with it. And the same goes true with, with Glaber. I don't think that either one of them was the real Glaber Torres or Gary Sanchez. I'm, I'm willing to kind of pass that off as a weird 2020 short season kind of thing and um, give them another chance coming in here. I'm sure the Yankees obviously feel that because they didn't have to give Gary a contract. Um, but Glaber is one of the bright young stars in this league. And um, I do agree that he's probably better suited to second base than short. But if you bring back LeMayhew and you have him at second base, and I still like that middle of the infield and um, I think Glaber can get better. He's not done. He's not done improving as a player. He can he can definitely grow. I mean, you know, we always joke about how young he is, and it feels like exactly. he's been around forever. But um, I mean, he's still very very young, and he can get a lot better. He's not even in the prime years of his career yet. So, I guess what I would say with Glaber is take more ground balls. Um, you know, work on the defense with Carlos Mendoza and face the Baltimore Orioles as much. Exactly. You know? 19 games this year will be better exactly. than the shortened that's season. That's what Glaber yep. was really missing was those trips to Camden Yards. Exactly. Well, actually, my mother's originally from Maryland. I just recently moved to Baltimore now. So hopefully this year I'll get out to see him there. Yeah, it's a beautiful ballpark. It really Love is. it. And uh, yeah, so hopefully, you know, Yankee fans always travel well. They come exactly. to 95 and they turn that into... Yankee Stadium South. So definitely yeah, if we can get fans back in the ballpark. I think that'll make a big difference. All right. So to put it in perspective, Glaber is my age. We're the same age. So um wow. yeah, exactly. So I grew up <laughs> watching you're not playing shortstop for the Yankees. I know, right? What's my excuse? Right. You did it. <laughs> Yeah, I grew up watching videos of you, though, talking about the Yankees every offseason. I would get home from school. I'd be like, okay, what's going on in the Yankee offseason? I didn't have, like, Twitter, you know what I mean? So I was looking up, okay, Brian Hoke, you were either reporting from Yankee Stadium or the MLB winter meetings. I just want to talk about that for a minute because you really bridge the gap the way I see it between the players, the professionals, and, you know, us, the fans. Um, You do the happy hour. You 
give advice to other people who are trying to become writers or even my people like myself. Um, you talk about Arod's birthday party in uh, Mission Twenty Seven, and to me, that's like crazy. I happen to have the same birthday as Arod, and so I'm a big oh, wow. Arod fan. But like you talk about that, and it's like I can imagine a guy like yourself, like there with all these twenty-five-year-old millionaires. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so talk about your background and you know where you came from, where you grew up, all that. You know. Well, that doesn't make me feel old at all. So oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's you're fine. probably um, younger than my parents. Does that I help? So, knock on wood, I'm, I'm 38. <laughs> yeah. So, um, definitely younger yeah, than my parents. Where I grew up, I grew up in Rockland County, New York, uh, Slowsburg, New York, Suffern, New York. I went to Suffern High School and just grew up loving baseball. Like, baseball was it for me. I bought packs of baseball cards. Always oh, a Yankee fan? Uh, I started out as a Yankee fan. It's a weird, long story. Started out as Perfect. a Yankee fan. Don Mattingly was my guy. Then the strike happened in 1994, and I really just kind of, it broke my heart, um, fell out of love with baseball for a little bit. And then in 1996, um, you know, my dad was a Mets fan. My grandpa was a Brooklyn Dodgers fan, and they were kind of saying, hey, you know, you want to watch the Mets? They've got these young pitchers coming up, you know, Jason Isringhausen, Bill Pulsifer, Paul Wilson. Like, it'll be exciting. Well, it'll be fun. We'll watch it. Right, because in 96, the Mets were the up-and-coming team. Exactly. <laughs> All these young kids yeah. coming up. Forgetting the fact that the Yankees have this young shortstop coming up who's going to be a you know first ballot Hall of Famer. Anyway, so long story short, I'm in high school, fre uh, freshman year, sophomore year, junior, senior, Yankees win in 96, 98, 99, 2000. Really bad time to be a Mets fan in a New York high school. And so I, I, I heard a lot from that. But I, I was writing about the Mets online. I, I started what I guess today we call a blog. Blog, yeah. Blogs were then. Um, yeah, it was kind of a web page, just kind of a way for me to write about baseball, something I was passionate about, and then um, opened up some opportunities for me. I actually got to intern with the Mets in 2000. Um, so I was there for the Subway Series and all that stuff. And uh, at the World Series at Shea Stadium, I was there when, you know, Piazza hits the fly ball to Bernie Williams in center field. And, um, you know, but I was on the other side of it, you know, in the Mets front office that year. And I was four, uh, by the way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, as John Sterling would say, anyway. Um, so uh, that kind of got a foot in the door. And once I got a taste of what it was like to be in the press box and be around all these people and be in the clubhouse, like I just never wanted to let that door close. So I went to college. I pursued journalism. I was still able to freelance a little bit and you know, fast forward seven years down the road, I was freelancing for MLB.com and a bunch of other places. And uh, I heard that the Yankee beat was coming open for MLB.com. And I, I'd written for them on the Mets and the Yankees and covering road teams as a backup. But, um, you know, I, I made sure I said, hey, I know you guys think of me more as a Mets guy. I know I've covered more Mets than Yankees. But if there's any chance that I could cover the Yankees, like that would be a dream job. I would love that. Um, I, I want to throw my hat in the ring for that. And they called me uh, a few days after Christmas in 2006, right before 2007 started. And they said they offered me the Yankee job. And I said, yeah, I mean, I didn't even ask what it paid. It didn't matter. Like I was yeah. taking that job no matter what. And so here we are, what, like 14 years later. Crazy. Exactly. I've, uh, but I've gotten to see so many cool things as a result of it. You know, the closing of the old stadium, the opening of the new one. Uh, got to see the end of the core four and the guys like judge coming up, you know, exactly. the baby bombers and stuff. And um, just been, you know, front row seat to history. It's been really cool seeing the end of Joe Torre, the entire Joe Girardi era. Now Aaron Boone, it's been 
really cool to, you know, it's, it, it has been a dream job. Um, I could imagine. So was it always baseball for you? Did you know you wanted to do this as a career? When did that kind of click? Um, it was always baseball. Baseball is always my thing. Like I even going back to like when I was eight years old, just collecting tops baseball cards. And like, you know, I was obsessed with baseball, reading about baseball all I could. Um, I didn't know it was something you could do as a career, really. I, I guess once I started writing online and, and got a little bit of a following with it, maybe that's what kind of kicked it up. But it was probably not until I uh, got that internship with the Mets and they actually came to me, which was crazy. Like, because I had this webpage and they sent me an email and said, hey, we have an unpaid internship if you're interested in, you know, seeing what it's like behind the scenes at Shea Stadium. And of course, you don't say no to that. And uh, so I think that once I got there and saw that, wow, there are people here who do this for a career and like, this is their job. It's, it's like we were buying tickets and going to games as fans. And, but to see the people who work behind the scenes and make it happen, it was kind of like, wow, okay. So there are ways that I could be a part of baseball without playing on the field. And that kind of opened up my, my eyes, I guess, in, in just to know that there are ways you can be part of this game, even if you're not playing second base. Exactly. Or shortstop. Um, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Right. So you had so many different things along the way. I saw that, you know, like you said, you started with the internship with the Mets and then you kind of went from there. You went back to college. You continued to work. Um, was there ever a point where you're like, OK, this just isn't going to be what I'm going to do? You paid your dues. It was obviously a process for you. And then you made it, um, I would say. Sure. Well, thank you, but um, I still want to do more. But uh, of course, yeah, we always want to get better. But uh, yeah, there were definitely times where I said, "All right, this is not." I mean, New York, especially, is such a competitive field, and so I mean, you're going up against the best of the best in this city, and there's so many newspapers and, and media outlets. It's like, how am I gonna make an impact here? How am I gonna actually get noticed? And so, yeah, as as late as like. 2006. And part of the reason we do that happy hour is I actually do. I did go to bartending school. Like I was ready oh, wow. to give up. I was ready to give up on the writing and just be like, all right, maybe that's a fun side thing I do. And like, maybe I can be a bartender. Like I was in my mid twenties and, you know, being a bartender in New York seemed like a cool idea. And so I learned how to mix a lot of these drinks and stuff. So I'm actually putting it to use now. I've never made $1 in tips, but uh, it, it was an idea that like, hey, maybe that's something I could do to, to make some money on the side or do that full time. I don't know. I, I, there was definitely a time where I was searching because I felt like I had hit a lot of dead ends on the Met beat. And um, yeah, I actually was up for a Baltimore Orioles job in 2006. And I was, I guess I was the runner up, but yeah, I was ready to pack up and move to, to Baltimore. Like, um, you know, the Yankees wound up being great because I didn't have to move at all. And I mean, exactly. Yankees, eh? where else would you rather be? But uh, yeah, the year before that, I was ready to move to Baltimore if they, if they called my name. So, and they didn't, and I'm, I'm actually glad they didn't, you know, well, it worked out well. I got, I yeah. got to, to see the Yankees rather than the Orioles. Um, well, you're obviously that good because the Mets noticed you and you, like you said, you reached out to them. So even in a competitive market, even in something like New York, a place like New York, you obviously stood out and continue to. Um, okay. Thank you. Yeah. Crazy next... lucky. Right place, right time. That's what I keep telling people. And Right. And that's what I was saying because, you know, it's actually funny. It's my wife's grandmother calls me every day and she's like, why are you not a sportscaster yet? You obviously love this. You're so good at it. I'm like, you got to get lucky. I think I'm good. I think I'm doing well, but I'm going to keep building. I've been doing this for two months. You know what I mean? So like, there you go. Um, I'm going to 
find a nine to five and still, you know, keep building on this because this is my passion. And you obviously never gave up. You made that. And that's why you are definitely one of the people I wanted to talk to, one of the first people. I'm going to take a quick break from Brian Hoke to talk about Anchor. More from Brian Hoke now. All right. So I'm going to jump into, I guess we'll call this uh, rapid fire questions if you want. Um, Just do a few questions. All right. So the first question I wanted to ask you, I guess, is what was your first pinch yourself moment? You had that whole like thing leading up to and that first moment we were like, oh, my God, I made it. Here I am. I don't, I still don't think I've made it, but I can tell you the pinch yourself moment was when it was like June of 2000. It's that year that I got the the internship with the Mets and I'm 18 years old. It's two, two weeks after graduation, two, two weeks after prom, all that. And I'm in the home clubhouse at Shea Stadium. And there goes Mike Piazza. He's walking to his locker and I'm in there and, you know, guys like Robin Ventura and Al Leiter, they're all in the clubhouse. And I remember walking into Bobby Valentine's office and like with the media scrum and I'm just in the back. I was definitely not going to ask a question on day one. I was just hanging back to see like what was going on. And I'm looking at all the pictures on the wall and he's got pictures with Tommy Lasorda and all these, all these things. And I'm getting lightheaded, like in this room, I'm like, I'm not supposed to be in here. Like, I, I can't believe that the security guards let me in here. I, I, I'm waiting pass, for somebody yeah. to waiting for somebody to come up and be like, "Excuse me, you're not supposed to be here." But I've got the pass around my neck, and like, I'm 18 years old. Like that was definitely like I was literally getting dizzy in there, just thinking like, I don't know why they let me in here, but like I'm gonna stay as long as I can. And here we are, what 20 years later, <laughs> I'm still still there. Well, right. once COVID goes away, I will be anyway. Exactly. So. Obviously, this interview wouldn't be complete without talking about Derek Jeter. So that's my second question. The second question okay. is your favorite personal Derek Jeter moment. And not, not a Jeter moment that he had, a moment that you right. had with Derek. Wow. You know, I, when you ask me that, I think back to a lot of Derek's final year, because I feel like we were all kind of trying to capture these memories of it. One of the favorite stories I ever did with Derek was toward the end of that year in 2014, when um, you know, I, uh, we were looking for fresh angles. Like we had been talking about Derek from February on because he had that long extended kind of farewell. And it was like, what can I write about Derek that nobody has written about? And I wrote about his bat and then, you know, the Louisville slugger P72 and that had been written a little bit. And I did an in-depth thing with the, the story of how he picked out that bat. Cause he, he used the same exact bat for his entire career. But one thing I noticed with Derek, and this is the kind of thing that you only see if you're in the clubhouse every day. Every day he had the same routine. He would walk in with his big cup of Starbucks coffee. He'd take a couple of socks, put it over his shoulder and he'd go to his locker and he'd, he'd start to get dressed and he always had that cup of coffee. And damned if, like, if he went to the trainer's room, whatever, always had the cup of coffee with him. And I thought that was kind of interesting because it spoke to just the creature of habit that he is. And so I actually talked to Derek and I said, this is going to sound kind of weird, but I want to ask you about your coffee habit. And he's like, and so we went into like, he used to get these like, you know, sugary frappuccinos, but now he gets a, a venti red eye every single time. Um, I think he used one sugar, no cream. Like I actually had his like coffee order in there and um, I'd never even heard of the red eye, but apparently it's just a coffee with an extra shot in it. And so uh, that is Derek's order and it's just kind of his routine. And, and the reason I thought about that story was I actually ran into Derek at a Starbucks in Manhattan. I lived on the Upper East Side 
And um, I used to walk to the subway to the four train at 86th street. And one day I was walking into Starbucks. I think it's on 84th street and second Avenue. And there's one on every corner there. Right. Yeah. I, don't, I don't remember exactly which one yeah. it was, but I'm walking in and Derek Jeter's walking out and I'm on my way to the stadium. And I was just like, and he looked at me kind of like, what are you doing here, man? And I was like, I'm getting coffee. Like, what are you doing here? And he was like double parked on the street. And like, it was a weird moment. We, 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 we said, I, I still regret not asking him for a ride to the stadium because I actually did. Take you then just day. got on the subway like, and you're like, hey, I'm going, are you going to the ballpark? Can I, can I ride with you? Exactly. What a story that would have been. I didn't ask, but I wish I had, but anyway, um, yeah, just kind of the creature of habit that Derek is. And then once we were talking about that, he, he looks over, he's like, let me show you something, man. And they had these like, I don't want to garter belt is not the right word, but like there was these straps that would like attach to your underwear and hold up your sock. And he's telling me this whole story about how, like, when he got down to rookie ball with the Yankees, they gave him these things because, you know, the boss said you have to wear your socks to a certain length. And he's using the same exact ones that he was using back in like 1993, like the same straps. Like, and I just thought that said so much about who Derek was that he was such a creature of habit. He would follow that routine every single day. And like his day was not, could not start if you didn't have that venti red eye from Starbucks. And so as, if you look up Derek Jeter Starbucks, if you Google it, there's like a hundred photos of him just walking at Starbucks, Starbucks all yeah. over the country. Yeah. And so that was kind of his thing that he couldn't start the day without Starbucks. And they say he used to give a different name every day also when he would go <laughs> yeah. in, right? Like the Philip thing. He would, yeah. he would write like Philip on the cup. Yeah. But I remember like being in New York at that time. And then I'm on the line at Starbucks. I'm like, did you see Derek Jeter was just in here? And people are like, no, that's the it's thing crazy. About New York. That's the thing about New York. Everybody's just worried about themselves. Yeah. Nobody's looking, nobody's looking up. It's My grandmother crazy. lived in his building, Derek, not in his building, but Derek parked in her garage. Cause she, she had a garage in his building. For 10 years, every single day, he parked in that garage and all the neighbors have like tons of Derek Jeter memorabilia and autographs and stuff. She never once like noticed him or saw him. She's like, oh, I don't know. Funny? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I guess my similarities to Derek Jeter and after we don't change our socks and we have the same Starbucks order after <laughs> that. Um, I didn't know it was called a red eye, though. I, I like the venti coffee with the shot. Like, that's it. That's what venti I'm getting. One but, shot. That's called yep. a red eye. OK, yeah, well. So good to know it's well one shot or two shot you double check that for me but i'll, uh, yeah. I'll next time i'm there it'll, it'll definitely get you going yep um well hopefully it'll get me to be the shortstop of the new york yankees if that's all you need <laughs> ticking, man Derek, exactly. Derek already had rookie of the year by the time he was your oh, age 100 percent. he had more than uh, that um i think he had like two world championships um yeah. So you talked about running into him. Was there ever a celebrity moment? Like I consider you a celebrity, but was there ever a celebrity you ran into that was like, that recognized you? And you're like, oh, that's so cool. Um, I mean, Jeter for sure. Like, <laughs> right. that, that, I mean, yeah, Derek, Derek definitely counts in that. Um, yeah, I, I just think it's, it's cool when guys that I grew up watching know my name, you know, for example, right. Andy Pettit, Andy Pettit is one, like, um like we were in london last year which two years ago which which feels like a thousand years ago exactly now, but uh we were in london and i went to this event and i hear you know hey brian and turn around and it's andy pettit like calling me and it's like it's right weird sometimes like you know and like granted i covered andy for a long time and like we know you know we were on a first name basis but it's still just when you haven't seen them for a little while and then you remember like oh we actually have a relationship like he's not right. just the guy that i write about all the time and who won four world series and all that like 
or five, I guess, right? Um, it's just cool. It's cool to, to have these kind of first person interactions and, and to see, um, you know, guy, the, the end of great careers like Pettit and Jeter and Mariano Rivera. I got to tour the Hall of Fame with Mariano Rivera. Who gets to do that? Like, you know, for literally, we spent the entire afternoon together. Like, um, just gotten to do so many cool things that um, I never would have dreamed of, you know, growing up when I was opening packs of Topps baseball cards that cost 35 cents. Each. Exactly. Um, and you, so you, you actually have talked about your relationship with some guy, specifically Joe Girardi. You talked about your relationship with him. He was a big, played a big role in your engagement and marriage. Is there anyone that would surprise fans to know that you have actually a really good relationship with like a former Yankee, current Yankee coach, anything? Uh, I don't know if you see the gears churning right now in my mind. Um, yeah, I mean, Girardi for sure is a big one. You know, I, I just, yeah, I think that, um, you know, it, it always amazes me when I'm like going through my cell phone and I find these names that are in right. there and that I can text these people and call them. And like, you know, you try not to abuse it. You try not Obviously. to, yeah, I mean, you want to be uh, respectful of their time, but you know, if you need a guy like a CC Sabathia or a Brett Gardner or a, you know, Mark Teixeira or, uh, yeah, that Teixeira was a great one. Like, let me just uh, talk about that. When I was writing my first book, it's behind me. Here it is. Here, yeah. I'll figure it out. Yeah. <laughs> I'll figure it out the mirroring. But uh, when I was writing my first book, you know, uh, Tex had just retired and we were talking about the rise of these new um, baby bombers who were coming up and, um, you know, he was trying to get into broadcasting and I just kind of floated to him. I was like, would you like to write the forward? Would you be interested in that? And like, I got a response back, like immediately, like within minutes. And it was crazy to think like, wow, he's willing to drop everything to do this, to just write about like what it was like to watch guys like judge. And, um, at the time, Greg bird and, uh, Gary Sanchez, Luis Severino to be teammates with them. And now to be watching them from the other side, I thought that was awesome. Like, what well, you know, just the fact that within five minutes, I got a response from, from Tex and he was willing to do that. I, I think it was, uh, it kind of shows the relationship, I guess we built over the years. Um, you know, I think that that's not something that happens overnight. If you're just some random guy coming in off the street, you probably don't get that same. Exactly. So you got to put in the time, but it's well, like anything else. When you're building a relationship, you got to put in time and um, you got to prove yourself, I guess, and, and be there every day. And um, you know, that's certainly something that, I did with with Tex in his career was like, he played eight years in New York and I was there almost every single day. So, um, you know, it's it's great to know that um, you've kind of got that value stored up. I guess it, it, when people hear from you or see your name on their phone, it's not just like, ugh, right, know? exactly. I mean, maybe it is. I don't know for sure. But <laughs> I, at least they respond. And, and so that's all you can ask. Well, that's how I felt about you coming on here. So thank you. Um... <laughs> you, you felt ugh. No, 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 no. I was, I was talking, referring to, I felt like, oh my God, this is crazy. He's actually oh, okay. agreeing to do this and willing to come on. Um, you did your John Sterling imitation already. I know, I guess you're I into did. broadcasting. Exactly. Um, it, what's your favorite booth? And don't worry, Michael K doesn't listen. So what would you say your favorite booth to, you know, to listen to is best favorite broadcasters? I mean, I love John and Susan. I, I put them on. I mean, I don't want to take anything away from Michael K. I mean, I, the, the one thing about... He'll never hear this. Don't worry. I, he <laughs> might. You never know. Um, and I love Michael. But, I mean, John is like a legend in, in all ways and shapes. And just, uh, he, he cracks me up every single time. So I love listening to John and Susan. But I would say the one thing about this weird Zoom season has been that we didn't travel. So every road game that I wrote, 
I wrote that off the TV and, and we obviously did the zoom calls pre and post game, but um, I got to watch a lot of the S network. And so I think that uh, the relationship between Kay and Cone, and I can't believe what they did with O'Neill. Like the fact that O'Neill was in Cincinnati, Ohio and it felt like he was part of the broadcast. That, that was crazy. I mean, they hit some bumps early in the, uh, in the, the season, but once they figured it out, they put O'Neill up on a separate monitor and they could kind of see him. It was almost like he was in the booth and um, it was pretty flawless. And so I really enjoyed that. Like it, it was when the Yankees would go on a road trip, you know, I felt like a fan at home. I, I was kind of looking forward to hanging out with my buddies, Michael and uh, you know, Coney and I guess Flaherty was there once in a while, but O'Neill for sure. And um, you know, Kenny Singleton, so, um, I mean, the S Network has that revolving door, guys. They're great, too. But, you know, hey, nothing better than driving in the car and listening to John, to John and Susan. Susan. Yep. I mean, he cracks me up every single time. I used to, uh, in the summers, I used to, you know, go to bed at night listening to them. Like, I would have the little radios. It was late at night already, the games, yeah. especially if it was a West Coast game, you know. Oh, and yeah, yeah. Listen to John and Susan. I mean, this is, you know, as a Yankee fan, I probably shouldn't broadcast this, but I love Gary, Keith and Ron. I think they're incredible. Okay. I love broadcasting and I'll watch Met games just to hear them. They are so like, I think they're a different level. Um, I'm a big A-Rod fan. It happens to be because we have the same birthday. I love home runs. Um, my theory about A-Rod and Jeter, I think, and again, another thing I probably shouldn't say about as a Yankee fan, but Derek Jeter loved the moment. He loved being clutch. He loved, you know, the fans. I think A-Rod genuinely loves baseball. And you see that now. He loves the game of baseball. If I had to speak to one person, I could sit down and have a conversation with someone about baseball. It would be Alex Rodriguez. Just listening to him talk about the game. Is there someone that you have that you would just love to talk baseball with? I'll tell you what on... um... Well, first of all, I, you know, the first name that came to my mind right there was Buck Showalter, because I feel like Buck sees the game on a different level. I mean, that's one thing that you learn when you're behind the scenes here, that you think you know baseball, but these guys live baseball and they, they, they see it on a completely different level. And even on that curve, Alex was leaps and bounds ahead of pretty much anybody I've ever encountered in a baseball uniform. I feel like, and Alex obviously had his share of problems off the field and away from the field and decision-making and whatever. We're not here to talk about that between the white lines when between those white chalk lines, I thought he was one of the smartest players that I've ever encountered. Like he could break down a moment for you in such rich detail that it's like when he wanted to be on, when he wanted to do that and you're seeing it now on ESPN, like if he wanted to stand at his locker and give you chapter and verse on this at bat or this showdown here or why this play wasn't made or, or how this could have been done better. Like you would walk away with that with your notebook and your tape recorder and be like, Holy crap. Like why, why can't he be like that all the time? And now he is on ESPN, but he would, the amount of detail that he saw in the game was just different level. And so, um, you know, I feel like Alex can do whatever he wants in this game. I don't think he wants to manage. Um, I don't think he wants to. Coach I would love to see that. I'm I'm kind of happy he didn't get the Mets gig. Like I would, I want to see him in the dugout. Like I don't think he's going to do the time commitment. I think there's just too right. much travel and stuff. He likes being the Instagram dad, and <laughs> like he's married to J Lo, or he will be anyway yeah. someday. Um, I mean, you know, I don't know if he wants to spend 180 days on the road, but um, yeah, he can do whatever he wants in this game. I think he's he's really good on TV. He's getting better at it, and uh, yeah. so yeah, he can do whatever he wants. Really, I, he he sees the game on another level. 
yeah, him and Matt Vasgersian, their chemistry is building, obviously, and they're they're getting to be incredible. Um, part of what I loved about Aaron, because you said he had some off the field things, is I loved how someone like myself, I could relate to that. You know, everyone has their ups and downs in life, and it's kind of cool to see him come back from them. He's totally, you know, his image has totally resurged, right? Like now he's viewed as one of the games, I don't know, he's very popular right now. And I think that's super cool. So even with the stuff on and off the field, I think that's cool. Okay, let's talk about something that I, there's going to be a third book up there um, yeah. soon, right? The Bronx Zoom, the name is incredible. Reason enough to write a book is that name, you know what I mean? But there was an obvious need for it because it was such a different season. There was such a distance for us from the game. Um, it felt like a distant thing. It felt like an alternate universe when you were watching at home. Um, so when's the release date? What can we expect? All that. It will, it will come out uh, June 8th, just in time for Father's Day. It's being published by Triumph Books, who also did Mission 27. And um, yeah, I just thought it was a historic year. Um, and it, obviously it didn't end with a World Series championship for the Yankees. We didn't know that when we were starting the book. We started it in the summertime and it was kind of like, let's see where it goes. But I, I figured that even if they didn't make the playoffs, like there was enough with the way that baseball shut down, with signing Garrett Cole, the way that everything kind of went upside down the whole year. Like, just how do you get through a baseball season in this weird COVID environment? Like, I mean, there were so many times that I didn't think I was ever going to walk into Yankee Stadium in, in 2020. Like, it just didn't seem plausible. And then the fact that you get through 60 games, you get through the summer camp, you do all that. There were so many weird twists and turns. Um, you know, they spent four days in a Philadelphia hotel and the, they couldn't play the Phillies. And then they wound up busing to Baltimore. There was They wound up playing series in Buffalo against the Blue Jays. There were so many weird things. And to have that season played out against the backdrop of a pandemic, um, you know, against, you know, the Black Lives Matters protests that were happening. I mean, the presidential election, there was so much craziness in 2020 that um, I, I feel like once we get a little further removed from it and it's not our every day, it's going to be the kind of book that you look back on and be like, wow, like yeah. that was all in one year. Exactly. And so, and the pandemic's not over. I mean, hopefully no. with the vaccine, um, we can get back to some kind of normalcy here and get fans back in the stands. But to play that entire season in front of empty ballparks and then they go to the postseason where they're playing in an empty ballpark and to share a hotel with the Tampa Bay Rays in San Diego and play a series there uh, and just kind of go into war with the uh, with the Rays, two teams that very much do not like each other. Like it was so it was so interesting to go back with all these guys who. Uh, were part of it and just kind of say, all right, so what was really happening here and here and here? And so um, that was that was a lot of fun. It was it was a heavy project at times, I thought, um, just dealing with a lot of the weight of 2020. Like guys missed their families. I, I think that that wasn't talked about enough that I mean, you know, for example, a guy like Zach Britton got on the plane to, you know, to go to summer camp and then he didn't see his family again until November or whenever the Yankees were done, whatever that day was. So, um, you know, you, there's only so much FaceTime you can do. And so uh, I think it was a hard year for a lot of guys. And, and it's just kind of remarkable that they were even able to have a baseball season under those circumstances. It was a season 
unlike any we've ever seen before. And I hope it's unlike any we ever see again. Exactly. Uh, and your pinned tweet is the video of you coming home to see <laughs> your kids. I mean, that, yeah, it's, it tells a story, you know, that alone, that video. That year it sucked. It kind yeah. of sucked in a lot of ways. It really did. And you know what? That was a quote that Boone gave me that I, I put in the book. He said, 2020 sucked. <laughs> like, right. And it did. It did. I mean, you know, we lived apart for, uh, once once uh, baseball started up and I was back at Yankee Stadium, like we didn't know what was going on. Like I didn't know that like everything worked out fine and, and the Yankees did a great job and MLB did a great job keeping everybody safe. But like in the moment, we didn't know. Like it was all such an unknown. And so just for safety reasons, like, um, you know, we, we really, I, I wound up staying separately from my girls and my wife and like we you know i do the drive-by in the car and be right you know with a mask on but it, it was just hard it was a hard year and um you know i was commuting into new york every day and just a, a set of circumstances i never thought we would sign up for and you know we got through it i think that's uh that's the biggest thing is 2020 we got through it and hopefully we never have to do anything like it again exactly a great podcast actually is the um ESPN 30 for 30 oh, March 11th yeah I mean it's a little bit too soon I listened to it the day it came out I was like okay this feels too soon maybe in five years we'll listen to this and we could be like okay we're past this because it's kind of we're still in it a little bit yeah um but you know hopefully one day we'll be able to listen to that and be like yeah, but okay. that's a big chapter in the book and uh, spoiler is is the day that everything changed. Said, this is what I was hoping for yeah 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 the day that everything changed and everything shut down that's chapter three and so um, yeah, it's kind of an in-depth recreation of that. And the Yankees uh, go to West Palm Beach and like the day after Rudy Gobert and all that and, you know, Tom Hanks and everything shuts down, the Yankees are still back on the field for one more game. And it's crazy. And, um, yeah, just kind of talking to everybody about that day and the weird bus ride they had back to Tampa. And um, then they voted that they were going to all stay together. Um, you know, how Steinbrenner wanted to keep Steinbrenner field open and he said that, Hey guys, you know, this is the safest place to be, please, you know, stay here if you feel comfortable. And then they did. And then the Yankees started getting positive coronavirus tests on the minor league side. And then it was kind of like, Whoa, 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 we're out of here. And right. so that's when that was basically, once they had those two coronavirus tests and um, the, the county down here said, Hey, you need to shut everything down. Most guys started scattering to the winds and, um, that was kind of interesting too. It's just kind of checking with each guy and being like, so it's April. Like, how did you keep like stay in shape? Like, what did right. you do? Like you're back home. You weren't expecting to do this. Like, and so Cole was telling me that, you know, he went, the first thing he did was he went on Amazon and ordered like all sorts of stuff. He cleaned them out, basically whatever. Like, Men out of vino were, were out of vino worked out a lot, yeah. but yeah, Cole made a, a gym at his house and just ordered whatever he could find on Amazon because like, remember it was tough to find stuff then. So, um, you know, obviously money was no problem for Garrett. <laughs> Not <laughs> at that point. His, his yeah. card wasn't getting declined. So, uh, but yeah, he worked out a lot without a vino and then Boone came over and they would play catch and stuff. So you know, a lot of those stories and just kind of like a weird year that none of us would have ever guessed was coming. Right. Well, I was hoping for either a spoiler for the book or DJ to sign while we were on Zoom. I was hoping for one <laughs> of those two check, things. Let me check my phone. Uh, nope. Still nothing. Okay. Well, one for two is not bad. Um, all right. Do we have time for a little more? Sure. Yeah. All right. Let's do it. So these are just kind of general baseball questions. Um, we mentioned A-Rod. I think 
the Hall of Fame and MVP votes should not be anonymous anymore. I think the, the two DJs is what I would say. DJ would have been at least second place, DJ LeMahieu, and Derek Jeter should have been unanimous and someone votes for him. And if if those votes, if you have to show your ballot to someone, I think the voting system would be a little bit more honest. And I know you've talked about that. What? How do you feel about that? Well, first of all, the MVP vote is um, you do have to put your name on it. So oh, you can go I, okay. look that up on you can go to bbwa.com and go look at how everybody voted. And by the way, I voted LeMahieu won. I watched him every <laughs> single day. I thought that he was the best player on that team and uh, the best player in the league. I thought that if he wasn't a part of that team, the Yankees don't even go to the postseason. So that's how I define valuable. And right. And he I'll definitely puts that, but, valuable in MVP. Yeah, I, I think it's subjective. It's not just a numbers thing. Like it gives you some room to to kind of, you know, for example, look at Alex Rodriguez in 2003 with with the uh, the Rangers. Like, yeah, he had a monster year and he did win MVP, but they finished last. So how valuable was he? Like, I think there is some room right. to kind of argue that point anyway. Um, but just uh, LeMahieu, I watched him every single day. I thought he was the best player on the team. And um, you know, he made every team, he, he was better every time he was in a lineup, if not, you know, nothing against Tyler Wade or Tyro Estrada, but it was a definite downgrade when the Yankees didn't have DJ and he was starting the year late with COVID and, um, that, uh, you know, there was just a lot of concern about that. And I didn't expect him to win. I thought a brave was going to win, but I thought he deserved a first place vote. And so, uh, that's the way I went with that. But as far as the hall of fame, I don't <laughs> I'll let you know when I get there. For some reason, I still don't have one. Um, they didn't let us in until because we were Internet writers. And so until I think 2016, they didn't allow us in the Writers Association, which is, you know, some is what it is. We can. I mean, whatever. Times change. Baseball changes slowly in a lot of ways. But anyway, so my clock started in 2016. So technically, I've only been covering the Yankees for what now? Four years, uh, even though this is my 14th year. And you're supposed to get a Hall of Fame vote after 10, but that's another argument for another day. But, Fingers crossed. Uh, yeah, let's get there. I think it'll be 2026 or whatever. I can finally get a Hall of Fame vote and um, I'll definitely have put in some time. But um, yeah, I, I think that you should have to put your name on your ballot. And I mean, to, to put your name out there, I, I think I would I've I voted in favor of making all Hall of Fame ballots public. As of right now, you're. You don't have to. You can be anonymous. But I think uh, just for the sake of transparency, I think we should all be able to see. All right. Here, you know, Joe Smith voted this. And, um, you know, if you don't vote for Derek Jeter, why? That's your that's your right. But I'd like to hear an explanation. You know, maybe that that person, whoever it is, and we still don't know. Maybe they had a very good reason. Maybe they maybe they forgot. Like, I don't know, <laughs> but, uh, I would, if you do have a good reason to look at Derek Jeter's career and say, he's not a hall of famer in my book, then I think you should have to explain that. Yeah. Um, I forgot. Sounds like the best reason to me because I can't think of anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Some people were talking about maybe because there were other guys on the ballot. Cause we all knew Derek was going to get in. Right. Um, you know, maybe it was, you know, person B or C needed my vote more than Derek Jeter would. But, but how do you know? Yes, you don't know. And I mean, and that's, but if that was the logic, I'd like to hear it, you know? Right. But seven people could do that. How do I know that I'm going to be the guy that's not voting for Derek? Like, right. Um, that, so that, I think that, that alone makes it even more remarkable that Mariano Rivera appeared on every single, single yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> I mean, he's the definition of unanimous, right? Right. That yeah. is it. Yeah. 
Um, so that brings me kind of to, I think if people had to be transparent, I think PEDs in the Hall of Fame and Pete Rose, these are guys who, well, the PED era, you're talking about Clemens, Bonds, A-Rod, these guys are an entire era of baseball. You could write on the plaque, they used PEDs, but you're, the Hall of Fame is supposed to tell a story. You know, at the same time, it honors the players and it's the biggest honor they can get, but it's supposed to tell a story. And if you go there and you have the entire, you know, early 2000s and late 90s just wiped out of the history of the game or the greatest hitter, the guy who has the most hits is wiped out for something he did as a manager. I think those people should be in. Where do you fall on that argument? Um, well, the problem with Rose is he's not eligible. So he has he's right. not even appearing on the ballot. So that's the problem with him. Um if I had a ballot, I, I would check the box next to Clemens and Bonds. Um, I, I think that the achievements of their career, seven Cy Youngs, most home runs ever, I'm willing to, to overlook the other stuff. And look, because I don't know. I, I don't know for sure. I know about Alex because he's admitted it. The other two, we don't know for sure. I mean, there's reams and reams of information in the Mitchell report and all that. But, um, you know, I, I just, I don't think you can play policeman and say, well, I know what happened and, and see like this guy's guilty because how do we know that there aren't guys in the hall of fame already who use PEDs? I would bet money that there are like, so um, to, to kind of be the arbiters of um, you know, well, I know what's right for baseball and that's why Roger Clemens doesn't belong. He belongs. He's a seven time Cy Young award winner. Um, you know, he struck out a, a billion guys, <laughs> right. Barry Bonds hit uh, monster home runs. Like, you know, I just, um, you know, 762 home runs for, for Barry Bonds. I, you gotta, if you're not going to get those guys in, I don't know what you're going to do. And so I think that's going to be interesting when Alex's case comes up here, because if Alex comes on the ballot and Barry isn't in yet, then I don't think Alex can get in. Right. But, would you vote for Aaron? Yeah, I think I would. Yeah, okay. yeah. I mean, 696 home runs. Like, I, I'm willing to go on. Look, in Alex's case, if you want to put it on the plaque and say was suspended an entire season for PED use, you can do that. I think because that is history. That's part of 100%. Alex's story. Like, I think that's completely fair if you want to do that. But um, you know, I, I, it, was he one of the best players of his generation? The answer is yes. Yeah, the only people who should not be in the Hall of Fame is the anyone associated with the Houston Astros. That we can all <laughs> that we can all agree on. Um, that's a different. I mean, what I see people talk about cheating, and people talk a lot of Astro defenders will say, "Well, there was all the PEDs." It's different when there's one team doing something that was obviously different than everyone else. But that's a different conversation. Um, you talked about growing the game and people being attracted to it. So how do we make the game more fun? You said it moves slowly, like the league kind of transitions slowly. You talked about that. Like 2016 was the first year you were recognized as a writer, which is just crazy to me. But we have guys like Tatis, and he got into a couple of things this year with bat flips and hitting grand slams with, you know, the game out of out of hand. Um, I think all that stuff needs to go for the game to really grow and be fun and to bring everyone back into the game. Uh, and that goes for also, you know, bringing in now you see the best athletes they want to go play football they want to go play basketball and i think it hurts the game a little bit and i think it's the hardest game to play the hardest thing to do is to hit a you know hit a bat with a ball but yeah we don't see the best athletes moving towards baseball and i think the game could be so much more fun what can the league do to kind of change that 
Yeah, I think that, you know, it's funny. You hear these programs they have about, like, let the kids play, and you see these campaigns, and then you have a thing like the Tatis thing, where it's like, don't hit a grand slam in a lopsided game. And it's like, who's making up these ridiculous rules? Like, no, here, here's an idea. Don't give up a grand slam. Like, exactly. batter out. Pitch yeah, better. No, Tatis did nothing wrong in that situation. I'm so tired of these kind of, you know, this is the way it's always been done. These are the unwritten rules of the game, and it's like – no. And so um, I, I, I have a problem also with the way that baseball polices itself on the field. Like I would like to see teams be able to, and I'm thinking specifically about the Chapman Brasso thing uh, this year, like the fact that guys get ejected for, you know, pitches and, and like, I'm not advocating headhunting or anything like that, but pitching inside is part of the game. And sometimes guys are going to get hit. And so, um, you know, I, I think that sometimes it's too aggressive what the umpiring crews do in terms of like, for example, uh, this season, remember when Ben Heller got ejected by hitting a guy with a curveball because there's right. already been one, like, let's use some common sense here. Exactly. And, and it's, it's not all black and white. There are shades of gray. Um, you know, I think the Yankees were down like eight runs or something crazy like that. He's not trying to hit him with a curveball. Like, come on. Right. Like, what? He's just trying to get out so they can go home. Like, well, I'm, uh, I'm a big hockey fan. So I, I, yeah. I, I mean, that's a little bit much, but I mean, still. Yeah. You... I, I, I'd like to see the players have fun. Like I don't yeah. have a problem with bat flips and I, I, I want to see guys celebrate. Remember when we all had those, you know, Jabba Chamberlain with, Oh, he pumped his fist. Like, how could he do You're, that? Like, that is how cast, dare yeah. he do that? It's like, come on. Like he's in the, the midst of competition. Like, and so, you know, I like that stuff when CC Sabathia is trash talking the yeah. other team and marching off the mound and saying, you know, that was for you. Like, um, you know, I think it adds flavor to the game. It makes it fun. Like, and that's what this is. This is competition at the highest level. Like, to tell guys that they should be competing with one hand behind their back and remind, don't get too excited because you might offend somebody. Like, no, I want people to be excited. You know, that's why people are paying and want to watch this because you've got the best athletes in the world, the, the guys who are the best at what they do, uh, competing, you know, for stuff that matters. And that's something Boone always says, um, you know, when he talks about this, you know, you got guys who are competing for a lot here. You're playing for a championship. And so um, you, you want to, I, I don't have any problem with emotion in the game. If anything, I'd like to see more of it. Right. I was actually at Yankee Stadium sitting down the right field line when CC threw at Garcia of the Rays. Um, and then, you know, Aaron Judge hits the home run after hitting the foul ball in 2019, hits the home run right over Garcia's head. Then DD hits the grand slam over his head. Those are great moments that were created because, you know, of intensity in the game. And Fans got thrown out of that game in my section because Garcia was playing right field and people were screaming things at him. I think that's part of the game. Obviously, you have to police it to an extent because you don't want anyone hurting anyone else. But it was so much fun. That was the most one of the most fun games I've been at. I mean, including playoff games. And that's right. that's part of the game. That's part of what makes it so much fun. So I'd love to see more of that in baseball. And you talk about pitching inside. The league announced that the Houston Astros, if you started throwing at the Astros, you were going to, you know, there were going to be suspensions that gave the Astros an unfair advantage. You're giving the team that cheated an advantage because they know we can like now choke up and step into the box comfortably knowing that no one's going to throw at us because you're not allowed to throw inside. Not only is not, are they not going to throw at us? If they want to throw an inside pitch, it's going to have to be over the plate and we could hit that. 1000%. I could not agree more. All right. So 
your books, Mission 27, The Baby Bombers, The Bronx Zoom, all that coming up. Uh, anything else you need to plug? Yankees.com. Yeah. Yankees.com. I mean, uh, yeah, my Twitter, at Brian Hoke. Uh, you know, Facebook, at uh, Brian Hoke. And just uh, whenever DJ LeMahieu does sign somewhere, and I hope it's today. Hold on. Let me check my phone. No. We keep going. We can keep this going a little bit longer. I have a couple other things till DJ signs. I mean, <laughs> okay. <laughs> we might be waiting a while if we stay on. You said February. Yeah. yeah, right. I'm going to have to get food at some point, but exactly. Um, yeah, no, that's what I would plug. And, uh, you know, latest Yankees news uh, at Yankees.com. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brian. I really, really appreciate it. Um, hopefully we can do this more maybe. Um, I really enjoyed it. And uh, thanks for coming on. You got it. Absolutely. Good luck with the podcast and everything else. Thank you. I appreciate it. All right. Take care. Thank you to Brian Hoke for coming on, joining me on that podcast. That was honestly so fascinating. I did nothing. I think he did it all. He's a great storyteller, obviously, as you could hear from that. I had a couple of questions that I just forgot to ask him, slipped my mind. So hopefully I'll have him on again. That would be really fun. Like I said, Look out for more podcasts, more stuff coming. I've started doing a lot of those short clips from my episodes, so you can expect a bunch of those from this episode also. Until then, here's Jovi.
You can't.